children, I'm back. It's been a minute. How's everything going? In the year of our Lord quarantine, in the year of COVID, how are you today? I hope you take this time to reflect on what's going well in your life and just relax. Come with me. Here's part three of my delicious, delightful, delovely conversation about Hanukkah lightly and breakfast at Tiffany's with Michael Duatley, and we touch on many topics in this episode, darling, as we get into it. We start talking about queer family and queer coding, um, the chaos of New York City artist life, um, the drama living in New York City, police brutality, Audrey Hepburn realism, um, sex workers, New York City house parties, darlings, we get into the thick of it. So without further ado, here's part three of my conversation with Michael Duatley. I don't know, like, he he could be a a white Hispanic, so there you go. (laughs) Right, close enough. Close enough. Right, close construct. All right, anyway, um... (laughs) Uh, I do want to talk about the police because they pop up three times and each time yes. it makes it like, especially looking at it in the times that we are living in today, mm, um, right. looking at, at the, the portrayal of police in, in not just this movie, but maybe like in this era of time and thinking about mm-hmm. like, my dad loved the Andy Griffith show. And so we would watch <laughs> constantly. And so like maybe between that and versions of cops that you see in like Disney films, there's this idea that they're kind of like cartoonish. Like they're the, the keystone cops, literally. Yes. Especially if you yeah. are wearing a uniform, like if you are not yeah. a plain clothes detective or something, but if yeah. you're actually wearing your badge on your thing, then you're yeah. a complete doofus. Who's like going to do a yeah. prat fall in the middle of the scene. Yeah, you're going to throw up an appeal. You're going to shoot yourself in the foot like Barney Fife. Yes, yes, exactly. And so, like, they put on the masks and they steal the stuff and they run out of the store that they just stole stuff from wearing cartoon <laughs> masks. She goes boo in front of a police officer. And I was just like, that is insane. Like, you can't, like, I'm just imagining well, happening today. I think. Honey, I don't think there'd be any difference today. They're two very well-dressed, attractive white people. Mm. That happens all the time. I mean, these kids, these kids, the, the students at UK who burn couches after a game, nothing happens to them. But then Eric Garner's choked out on the street corner for selling one cigarette. I mean, white people get away with all kinds of shit that, that other people wouldn't today. Um, now, I mean, I guess to, to give, to, to play devil's advocate to myself, I guess, I mean, there are white people protesting in the streets now who are getting tear gassed. So they're, they're experiencing a little bit of police brutality, but I don't know. I feel like if two beautiful white people on the upper West side of Manhattan run up to a cop in a Halloween mask and say, boo, I think he's going to laugh and say, get out of here, kids. I don't think he's going to club them over the head and shoot them and tear gas them and drag them off to a cell mm. but i don't know maybe, maybe i maybe i maybe i'm wrong but um it is it's crazy that they steal in front of everybody yeah. that is crazy that that part still gets me every time that i'm like not only are there cops in the store who clear, clearly see this woman trying to put a fish bowl 
in her jacket, this woman who is a toothpick, <laughs> <laughs> and then run out of the store with something. But then they do, yes, they run up to a cop and say boo. And he just, he barely even, he did barely even reacts. No. No, I, I, hmm. The message being that we're, once again, when I'm with this magic pixie dream girl, I can steal and we're fine. Yeah, you can do what, do whatever. And then when the cops show up at her apartment at the in the party scene, it was so interesting to me. And I thought this was gonna, um, I thought this arc was gonna play out differently. But that like the the man of color is like, you've got to get me out of here before the cops yeah. show up. Under no circumstances can I be here when the cops show up. Um, yeah. And then later on, his like fear of um, bad press or getting like in a bad situation with the law becomes almost like this extreme thing that I think we're supposed to find funny in some ways that he just doesn't know what to do with it. And so of course he and Audrey can't be together. But I was like, oh, that's so, it's interesting that this later becomes a part of his personality that's like on some level supposed to be funny. But initially in the movie, I was like, that is a real danger and a real threat that he's trying to escape and avoid. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it is. I think there's so many levels there because when I watched, I watched the movie again, what is today? Today's Monday, on Saturday in preparation for our talk. And um, something I noticed that I hadn't seen before, there's like one or two African-Americans in that party, but like hidden in the crowd in her crazy uh, party with two people in the apartment, which I have to say is still one of the best film representations of a New York City house party, I must say. <laughs> That's pretty close. <laughs> I gotta say, I've been to a lot of apartment parties in New York City with artists, and that's kind of close. Yeah, We're not dressed that well anymore, but that, <laughs> that's, that was on par. The woman having the breakdown in the mirror by herself, the <laughs> person standing on their head, like, the woman's hat catching on fire and somebody putting it out and no one noticing. I'm like, that's that's on that tracks that's on point <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> and police breaking up i've been to parties that police have broken up and i also made sure that i was out when i heard the sirens come i left um yeah that's a very real danger right the black people didn't get out this um non-black poc did and then when we find out later that it's not because he's afraid of police brutality it's because he's rich yeah. And he's afraid of an international scandal because he's of such good breeding. I thought the interesting commentary was, oh, look, I, th I think there is something there. This person of color who you would think is supposed to be lower than Paul and Holly is actually richer than all of these people and is of a much higher status and has a reputation to uphold. Mm. So therefore, he cannot even be seen with Audrey Hepburn, who was like the pinnacle of beautiful white woman realness that everyone on earth is supposed to want. This man of color is saying, no, you're beneath me. I can't take you home to my parents because you get arrested. And that's too low class for me, dear. Mm. Like to me, there's something in that that's interesting because that's a turn that especially in 1961, I don't think film audiences were used to even considering a person of color being of higher social status and having more money than a attractive white person. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really good take on it. 
that makes me see it a different way. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that that was the last two times I've seen this. I'm like, ah, that is interesting because that would be different. I don't think people would be used to seeing that. Yeah. Um, and and she's kind of shocked by that too when she gets the note. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's exp- she's used to being let down by men, so that's that part seems routine, but. I don't know what you think about her acting. I think she's a, a, a pretty brilliant actress, actually, because she she can make things seem so bubbly and then all of a sudden, boom, turn on a dime and give you, to me, a very realistic, um, clean acting scene. Like, I feel like that scene in the cab, I feel like she comes through acting-wise. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that scene? Yeah, I think... She is very versatile. Like I see what you're saying about her flexibility and her ability to um, turn on a dime and and sort of experience the full range of human emotions simultaneously, which I think is a necessary mm-hmm. component to what this character is going through. Like, mm-hmm. like she's so filled with desire and hope and expectation, but also like a real dangerous level of, of constant fear and anxiety. Um, that, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that that does come through in the performance for sure. Yeah, yeah. I hear. I feel like a butt there. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I guess like to me, and maybe this is maybe on some level. I think this is true for all comedy, but I think calling it like a realistic performance doesn't totally strike me as as true. Um, like I think mm-hmm. that there are parts of the movie that feel like a heightened version of reality, like a stylized comedic mm-hmm. form of reality, and in in that way, I think that she fits the tone of the film like spot on but i don't Uh i always feel like i'm watching like a documentary of this person's life you know okay so so i guess so this is where i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna have to do it and have to do it and i hate to do it but i'm gonna have to pull new york right (laughs) because (laughs) i have not only okay so my friend, I mean, I have a million stories, but I've, I've literally been sitting in my apartment with my friend Damon, my roommate Damon, and I remember Ryan coming through the window, like Holly Golightly, he, we lived on the second floor, he shimmied up the fire escape, came over, he was like our Kramer, he came through the window and said, hey guys, what's up? Just like Holly Golightly did <laughs> to Paul, I've, I've been in not well i have been in situations where i feared for my life i've been to crazy parties the police have broken up i've been i've been in so in so many of those uh scenarios in new york that it felt not like a documentary but close like yep i recognize that yep i remember that yep yep i don't know there's something about and it's because theater people are dramatic Mm. So maybe maybe that's part of it. But um, yeah, I mean, I've come home from the club with friends at when the sun is rising and we've not walked by Tiffany's, but we walked by Century 21 or we walked by um, Macy's or the windows of Bergdorf Goodman and looked at the like Christmas displays um, when we were coming home at like sun sunrise. Um, with the coffee and something else. And I don't know, 
I feel like I've I've had some of those moments. Maybe that's why I love this movie. It reminds me of New York in so many ways. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I guess I have to push back a little bit because I I feel like New York City is so dramatic that I did I do feel like it's realistic in these overdramatic situations. That is so fascinating <laughs> to me. That is, I mean, that's really incredible. Um, <laughs> I've been on some dates. Well, I, I mean, uh, I guess I'm kidding aside. I've been on I've been on two dates where uh, the situation got kind of dangerous, and I had to escape. I've had to jump out of a cab um, with a, a gentleman who was getting very, very aggressive. Um, so I haven't jumped out of a window in an apartment, but I have jumped out of a moving cab. Uh, so I can feel. Um, I've never gotten fifty dollars to go to the powder room, darling. But um, I did. I was a co check girl, and I got I made three hundred dollars a night doing co check, um, sitting there being my highly golightly best and being uh, vivacious and charming, and, and making a whole lot of money to to look at coats in the closet. Um, so I don't know. I think I think I, I feel a kinship with her because being gay in New York City, at least in the middle of the 2000s kind of echoed a lot of that chaos. There's a lot of chaos uh, in New York as an artist, uh, I think, trying to live. Do you think that is a New York specific thing or do you think that that is like a big city thing anywhere there's more than one million people gathered close to <laughs> I think that's a New York specific thing because Chicago is such a chill vibe. Um, LA is so spread out. I think it's the fact that New York is so concentrated so I don't know, maybe Tokyo is the same, <laughs> but mm. um, because New York is so concentrated and so on 24-7, except for now, except for the rest of the world now, but um, I think it's a New York specific thing. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. But I could, I totally agree. So I would say it seems, it seems very stylized and over the top for anywhere but New York City. <laughs> anywhere but New York City. I like that. Yeah. 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 I would agree. Totally. What's a movie? And now I got to think of an Audrey Hepburn movie that's not a musical. But you, oh, The Children's Hour is amazing. And um, I mean, she's done some very serious dramatic acting. Um, the Children's Hour, and what's that other? Actually, she's been in several. But The Children's Hour with Shirley MacLaine, you should you should check out. Yeah. Oh wait, is that Anne Bancroft? Now my brain is. Is, is fooling me. Unfortunately, I cannot help you with this. This is a Jeopardy category I would definitely lose. <laughs> and these are all theater people, by the way. <laughs> of course. And Bancroft and Shirley MacLaine came from the theater. Um, it's it's either, I refuse to Google, it's either Audrey Hepburn or Anne Bancroft, but I think the Children's Hour, no, it's, it is it is, it is Audrey Hepburn, and it, there are two lesbians. Um, and it's a very early play that addresses well. It it discreet it it doesn't actually address lesbians, but you know they're getting fired. They're teachers, and they get fired, and you you feel you it's unspoken in the film, but you get it that that's why they're being fired because um, they're special friends, quote unquote. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, so it's definitely queer coded. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, she's done some very dramatic, really good dramatic work. You, you should check the rest of her catalog out. Um, so what are so we talked about the cops and how that's interesting when you look at what's going on with the police today. 
um, how police today are all, always 100% shown as heroes, brilliant, whether it's a beat cop or a detective, everyone is Sherlock Holmes. Everyone is also a ninja assassin. <laughs> like, I, I don't know a portrayal of a cop on TV who is not like Batman. Yeah, they can jump over buildings. They can do jujitsu. They can get him by the car and keep going. Keep going. They're Superman. They're Wonder Woman. They're they're everything. Um, where these cops are definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. There's so that crazy is- moment where they're waiting for them in the apartment, and it's the plainclothes detectives who just start handcuffing people. And then, oh right, with Rooney, yeah, and Mickey Rooney's there, and you're like, "Why is he there?" Like, did you need a Judas Iscariot for this scene to be like, "He's the woman"? Like, I don't understand. And of course, it's the person, it's the white man in yellow face, is the person of color who who sells around. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so many levels there. So many levels. Yes. Is... And I think the line is, "There she are, <laughs> the wanted woman." <laughs> Christ. Yes. It's like these policemen had they were in her apartment waiting for her to get home. Do they really need this other guy to ID her? I don't like I don't think they did. <laughs> Why is he in this scene? I, hey, that's not her. That's somebody else who has the key to her apartment. Let her go. <laughs> so I, I don't wanna I don't wanna leave without also talking about the scene where her husband comes to visit. Doc go lightly. Yes. Yes. yes because Isn't that bizarre? I mean, everything everything about his role in the movie felt strange to me. Like from the moment they were playing this really intimidating music while he's eating Ooh, lots of Cracker right? Jacks in the park. And you're like, nobody <laughs> looks intimidating while eating Cracker Jacks. Like that's not an activity that you can do while tense movie music is playing. <laughs> what? What's his deal? What's his deal? It it worked until the Cracker Jack, right? You were like, oh, yeah. this is an imposing fellow. He's very tall. He looks kind of rough. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think. And then I thought, well, maybe he's insane. And that's why he's eating the Cracker Like, he's a psycho killer. <laughs> and he just loves Cracker Jacks. <laughs> I, think, I think if the t- music had been playing, he sits down by him. The music cuts out immediately as he brings up this box of Cracker Jacks. Like, maybe I feel differently. But like the second he brings out the Cracker Jacks, I'm like, this is going in a really weird direction. And they did not disappoint. It, it got weird. <laughs> it got weirder. I need a, I need a friend. Yeah, <laughs> I need a friend. Uh, like, And maybe this is my 21st century lens. But the second he's like, yeah, I married her when she was 14. She's super sweet. My brain, oh, he's a pedophile. He's dangerous. He's eating the right Cracker Jacks because he wants to give the toy to a kid. Like under no circumstances should you take this man back to your apartment. <laughs> You're a child rapist. What's right. happening? What are we doing here? And somebody's like, "Well, can you take me? Can you take me back to the apartment complex and get her to go home with me?" And I'm like, "Absolutely <laughs> not, George. Like, what are you doing?" And George, I'm like, calling the police. It seems the only honorable thing to do, I suppose. Let's just do. You win this round, Mister Husband. You got there first. <laughs> well, he's so he's so wounded that his magic pixie dream girl is 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 married. Right. You know? He doesn't it. know what to do. Yes. With children, with four children, what? <laughs> children, I. But I guess that was such a turn, and you're like, "Wait a minute, what is happening with this movie?" You're like, "Whoa, good on them!" Like that's a plot twist. 
You're like, what is happening? Yes. But then it only gets weirder, right? Like at that point, I'm like, okay, well, George is obviously an idiot and the child molesters are child molesters. So I guess he wants what he wants. But then they go back to the apartment building and she's thrilled to see him and he's thrilled to see her. And I'm like, nobody's yeah. reaction in this entire scene makes any sense. Because then you have George in the background who's going, oh, I lost the girl. The, the pedophile got there first. The pedophile's like, oh, a happy reunion. And she's like jumping into his arms, like happy to see. I'm like, do you, you like ran away from this man eight years ago. Like you haven't seen him since your brother was 14 and he's completing a tour in the army. So it's been like a minute. And, and his re reaction to seeing you isn't, I've missed you for so long. Please take me back. Yours isn't, oh my God, I've been avoiding this moment ever since I left your home and changed my name and tried to forget that I was ever part of your life. It's like, what are we supposed to be happy for her? Like, what do you think's going on there? She's put herself into her own witness protection program, right? She moved as far away as she could. She changed her name. There's a whole new persona and he comes back. Now, now what I, what I have also really thought about is that when I remember that this was written by Truman Capote, the, the faggot of fags, the queen of all gay men, uh, for uh, in 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 some ways, I mean, clearly there's, there's racial issues there, but um, a gay icon, Truman Capote. Um, this is a very queer story, in that all of these relationships often do not make sense to straight eyes because they're very gay coded. So in gay culture, oftentimes your exes still stay um, in your heart. And it's not, um, you know, this isn't someone you hate. Even if you move, you get away from them, you change your name. If they show up, you're going to welcome them in and have them sit down and make a cup of tea for them. And like she did, tell them, look, nothing's changing. I'm not going back to you, but it was so good to see you. Let me hug you. Of course I loved you. We had a thing that is over now. I will always love you. Now get the fuck out of town. <laughs> and straight relationships don't work that way. And it's, um, I got to say, it's a beautiful thing of, of queer family that people are never really cut off. They're just um, recategorized mm. um, and sort of compartmentalized. Uh, but they're never usually, these are all generalizations, but they're never cut off for good. They can come back. And I have encountered exes much like she did, not jumped into their arms, but I've been very happy to see them because that's someone that you loved at one point in your life, right? Yeah. Um, although we're, the added complication is that she was 14. So was it really love or was she being molested and abused and um, coerced into this relationship uh, that she grew into? Um, I think also it's, it's a nuanced conversation because clearly in 1961, uh, and then you count back, what, 10, 11 years from that, you're in the 40s, you're in the late 39, 40. Um, relationships did, people did get married at 15 and 16 and 17. And that's a, that's a whole other conversation on 
how appropriate that was and whether that was right at the time and that's what people were doing and why they were doing it and what that means and uh that's that's a lot <laughs> that's a whole lot that i still can't wrap my head around um i still have up the mind to say i can't be a cultural relativist about it i'm not that sophisticated mm-hmm. i still think marrying a 15 year old is marrying a child um whether it was 19 you know 32 or 1942 or 1951 or 1961 but um there's a whole lot of people who got married at 15 who are now you know 90 uh and are still married to that person so i don't know what to do with that yeah i think you know i as as you were talking about queer relationships it definitely like i have seen that in real life um but i have never experienced that so maybe that is mm-hmm. that is just something for me to think on a little bit more well i think it's fascinating that so truman puts that onto these straight characters right yeah and that's what might make it look so odd to straight eyes like what is going on here what is this you know because she does when he when he comes at the steps she's just like oh doc hi you know she's not she thinks it's fred she's kind of surprised but she is generally you can see that she's genuinely heartened and happy to see him. yes yes which is what was so confusing to me that i think i understand it a little bit better now I think like but I agree. It, it is hard to look at it through the lens of this was at one point a consensual relationship. And maybe that's like part of the problem for me. Yeah. No, that that I mean that is like I like I said, that's a that's a tough conversation that I don't I I don't I don't have the answer to. That is that is tough. Um it's it's still disgusting. I mean, maybe when she looks back she thinks he was a good person. Um but yeah, fourteen. That's that's not the age of consent anywhere. I don't believe fourteen. So I don't know. I I want to say in Texas, actually, you can get married at fourteen if you have your parents' permission. <laughs> well, I'm not as surprised. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm gonna look it up real quick because I want <laughs> I want to like put this out there in the world if it's not true. And also, don't get married <laughs> at fourteen, please. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? The end of that conversation got really interesting, talking about the age of consent and how they go lightly. Oh, there's so much to unpack there, isn't there? Mm. The fourth and final part of our conversation will air next week. I'm excited for you to hear that. There's some other really interesting topics we get into at the tail end of the conversation, so be sure to come back for that. Now this week, as we continue to see people of all colors marching for black lives, I am strengthened by that and and, and that gives me hope. I need us not to lose focus. I need us to continue to work in whatever way you personally do, whatever way you personally can for Breonna Taylor, for David McAtee, for George Floyd, Sandra Bland, Trevon Martin, Melissa Williams, Brayla Stone, 
and on and on and on. Black lives do matter. The great flood is spoken. <laughs>